reading the energy of a thing to gain some information unknown. Hi, and welcome to Psychic Playdate Podcast with me, psychic artist Melanie Alberts. Our guest today is my friend Sharon DeBartolo Carmack. Sharon is an educator, a genealogist, an author, a spiritualist medium, a medical intuitive, and well, I don't think there's anything she couldn't do if she put her mind to it. Sharon is someone I love to talk to, and I think you'll enjoy what she has to say about her path and how to develop the skill of psychometry, which she was inspired to learn from an interesting source. Have you ever done psychometry? I mean, really consciously do it? I think all of us have that kind of intuitive knowledge when we hold an object, um, what kind of hits we might get from it. My first experience with it, with intent to read an object, was in high school drama class. Our teacher asked us to bring in an object to talk about on stage in front of the course, and I did. I chose a ring I had put away in my jewelry box, wanted to forget about it. It was given to me by my first boyfriend, who I broke up with because he wanted to get too intimate, and I wasn't ready for it, of course. But I had this ring, it was a bent nail, and as I sat in front of the class talking about this ring on stage, I suddenly got the impression that it wasn't a camp he went to, it was a reform school, and he was there for sexual assault. I threw the ring down, in disgust and well, needless to say, that was an interesting day in acting class. Sharon is going to explain how she was led to study psychometry and today give us some tips. Oh, here she is. If you haven't already tried this skill, I really hope you give it a go and let me know how you do. Let's go say hi to Sharon. Hello, Sharon. Hi, Melanie. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad you're here. It's one of my favorite things to do, talk to friends about all sorts of interesting subjects. And you've got quite a few that you could talk about. I do. It's pretty amazing <laughs> how, how wonderfully you've embraced this part of your life. And I want to I'll ask you to Tell the listener and me a bit about your background, especially how you discovered your mediumistic abilities and how they brought you to the subject of your new book. Okay. Uh, well, by career for the past 30 years, I've been a certified genealogist, a professional genealogist, which is really just a form of talking to the dead, uh, a one-sided form of talking to the dead as you do research and hopefully they guide you in research. And so that's my background and orientation. How I came to mediumship is actually uh, pretty weird. <laughs> I woke up one morning and I was watching the Long Island Medium. It just happened to be flipping channels and landed on that show. And I decided afterwards, I thought, gee, I wonder if anybody can be a medium. So I started reading books about mediumship, mediumship development. Eventually, after a while, I found a circle 
And I found out that yes, anybody can be a medium. And so that I developed my mediumistic abilities fairly quickly. I was 57 when I decided I was going to become a medium. And I think the spirit world said, we better get her developed quickly. She doesn't have a lot of time left. So, <laughs> so I developed pretty quickly. And um, then I started exploring uh, mediumship through the Spiritualist National Union and the Spiritualist National Union International. And that's where I met you. And that's where we met. And I started taking some classes. The first class was called at the time SD1, speaking and demonstrating. And that's where I learned about a lot of the pioneers. Some I had already heard about through my own exploration. And, and these are pioneers of? Spiritualism. Spiritualism, okay. Pioneer mediums. Okay. Who started the spiritualist movement. The most famous are the Fox sisters in 1848. They heard rappings on the wall and communicated with the, the spirit. In learning about all of these mediums and pioneers, one caught my attention and her name was Maria B. Hayden. She was the American medium who brought spiritualism to the UK. But the reason she caught my attention is that was all that was written about her. All the other pioneers had a paragraph or two and a photograph. Hmm. There weren't even birth and death dates for her. The genealogist in you was intrigued. Exactly. And Did she so, have something to hide? I mean, what was the reason? I, I want to know. I don't think I don't know whether she had something to hide, but nobody had really researched her. When I looked online, hmm. I kept finding the same thing regurgitated over and over again, you know, her trip to England in 1852-53 and how she converted Robert Owen, who was a, a Welsh social reformer and, and spread the word. Mm -hmm. But there really wasn't anything about her personally. And yes, the genealogist and me had to know everything about her. So I quickly found her in census records, quickly found her in her marriage, quickly found this, quickly found that. And I thought, boy, there's a lot here. So in my homework assignment, which was to talk about three of the pioneers, Maria was one of them, I wrote an essay and with primary source evidence. And my tutor said, you need to take the courses prerequisite so you can take the advanced course and write a thesis on Maria. 12,000 words. Oh. 12,000 word thesis. So I had no problem writing 12,000 words. In fact, there was so much there that it turned into her biography, which is now 600 pages. <laughs> wow. So how did she influence you in your development? Well, she influenced me in a lot of ways. As a genealogist, she influenced me and directed me to records that I don't think I would have otherwise found. I, I really feel she was instrumental in helping me find obscure sources about her. And how do you, how do you know that? Only because the sources were so obscure and some of them just kind of fell in my lap. Did she just come to you? Was it a voice in your no. head? Did she come to you in a vision? No, it, it was just... I, I just felt like I was guided in my research. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I think I was done 
and I found everything I could find. And the next day I'm poking around on ancestry.com or family search or in the newspapers, mostly the newspapers, and I'd find something else, which would lead me in a completely different direction than I thought of. And you just say, thank you, Maria. Yes, thank you, Maria. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's lovely. So, I mean, there was, for someone who was covered so sparsely in the course and on other websites, like I said, I've got a 600 page book. Now, granted, not all of that is Maria's story. There's notes and bibliography and appendixes and, and that kind of thing. The actual narrative is something like 370, 370 pages is the actual narrative about a good her. story. I know, I know. And so she influenced me, my research, she influenced my career in that direction. She influenced me as a medium. And this was interesting. I was just discussing this in one of my mediumship classes. Someone had said, I asked her if she wanted to practice today. And she says, well, I haven't meditated and you don't do a meditation before working. And I said, no, I I don't. And I said, to be honest with you, I meditated a lot in my development, but I don't meditate anymore. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) No, your secret's safe with me, Sharon. And I said, if you look back at the pioneer mediums, none of them meditated. None of them meditated. None of them took workshops. None they didn't them, sit in the power. Right. They didn't sit in the power. They didn't attend classes. What did they, they do? They drank a lot. They drank a lot. <laughs> they drank a lot. <laughs> they did. But they also sat in circles. Right. In circles. And they would sit in silence in the and circle. Sit in silence. However, only one medium at a time was developing. Everybody mm-hmm. else who was there was to lend their power and focus to that medium. Mm-hmm. So they were sitting in the silence, but it's not like they were doing a formal sitting in the power or meditating. They were directing their energy to that medium to connect with the spirit world. And even in Maria's day, which was before mental mediumship, the kind of mediumship we do now, it was physical mediumship, getting the wraps. They would sit in a circle and chat, wait, waiting for, you know, the raps, waiting for, you know, something to happen. And so they weren't meditating. So, But they also had to make sure that the energy was good. I remember yeah. reading lots of books about there's got to be an equal number of men and women. And you have to have people who are sympathetic to mediumship. Otherwise, it gets more difficult. Do you think having a group of people just oozing energy toward the medium... Is that like the missing link? Well, you know, I have to wonder that because we know the mediums of the past were so much better than we are today, more natural. It was, they were able to get names and dates and addresses and things most mediums today can't get. So if all of sitting in the power, attending workshops, doing all this is supposed to improve our mediumship, why aren't we improved? And they didn't do any of those things, except have the energy of the audience. And I really believe that one of the reasons people like workshops and like circles is because of the collective energy. Even though 
the people in a in a zoom circle even don't realize they're lending their energy they are just by virtue of being there with the intent to be in a circle i think intent is really important and it's something that we really should pay a little bit more attention to i think a lot of times we're just too concerned with how we're feeling and we're not getting anything we should be just concentrating, sending our energy to the medium as they work. And in turn, they do that to you. And it, it would be a beautiful circle experience. I agree. Now, one of the ways that I learned or tuned into my, I guess, intuition was to learn psychometry. Mm -hmm. And I understand that psychometry became an interest of yours through studying Maria. Yes. Maria was an expert psychometrist. I have not researched, or I'm sorry, I have not found in my research that she particularly, just like her mediumship, developed it. She just did it. And how she did it is Joseph Buchanan, who coined the term psychometry, psych for the soul and metron for measurement, measuring the soul, would give her photographs or drawings, I should say as well, of individuals of the past, either in an envelope or upside down. And then she would place her hands on them and tell you all about that person. And what she was doing was picking up on the energy of the person. Now, the thing about psychometry is we don't know exactly how it works. Is she making a, if the person is deceased, is she making a link to the spirit communicator and getting the information that way? If the person is living, is she making a psychic link with the person? Or is she making a link with this energy within the photograph? So we don't know exactly how it works. We just know that it's energetic and it does work. And I have found too, you can do a psych psychometric reading on a photograph without even touching it. Yeah, touch isn't really necessary right. for this. Right. <laughs> right, it just it just is an aid for us, just like some mediums use cards and, and that kind of thing. It, the touch is really just an aid. But I've also discovered in practicing myself psychometry and what I would do is I would have my husband print out photographs of people living or dead and sometimes emails and put them individually into individual envelopes. And then I held them and just rattled off say two dozen pieces of information and then we'll go back and, and see how accurate I was. At one time, I was probably 80, 90% accurate with it. Oh, that's wonderful. And I remember sending you some pictures. Didn't I send you something yeah. as well? Yeah. So that was not having the case of, I was in the room with you, like your husband right. might be in the room. Are you reading his mind that he knows right. who the pictures are? Here, that's you it. actually had something that was really blind. I wasn't right. in any way associated with your reading. And how was your accuracy with those? Not as good. <laughs> ah, interesting. Not as good. I remember not as good. However, but I don't know when he did it, he put it in a, a eight and a half by 11 envelope. So they weren't folded. Ah, okay. The ones you sent me were folded mm. in smaller mm. size envelopes. So I don't know whether that mm. made a difference or not. I don't know. The point I wanted to make is 
It didn't have to be a photograph. It could be an email that was printed out, even though it's not the recipient's handwriting or the, the person's handwriting, mm -hmm. their energy is still in their words. Mm -hmm. And so that would be what I'm picking up on. And the other interesting thing about psychometry is being able, you would think that, okay, let's say I psychometrized a photograph of you today. You would think that would be the most I could pick up on. But when you do a psychometry reading, it's like you can pick up the whole life. Because someone, some of the photographs of deceased people, you would think I'd only be able to pick up on the time up to the time that photograph was taken, but you can still pick up on their entire life. So again, am I connecting with spirit? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think so. I think it's the picture is a sort of a placeholder or just a symbol of this individual spirit, this um, body mind now in spirit that you're able to connect with and communicate with just as you would as a medium sending your energy out. Okay, who is there? Oh, here they are. Right, right. Well, and the other way psychometry can help us as mediums, I had one client in particular, I just could not link, he really wanted to talk to his grandmother. And I, I was picking up on a lot of people, but I couldn't feel her. Mm -hmm. And I told him, you know, we're not summonsing the dead. I can't guarantee I can bring through anybody you want. All I can do is put the word out and hope she shows up. Well, like I said, I picked up on everybody under the sun, but his grandmother and he had his grandmother's, uh, was it, it was her engagement ring. And so I said, well, let me hold the engagement ring and psychometrize it. Let me get the energy off of it. And so I did, I took the ring and put it in my hands and did the reading on the energy in the ring that still remained of his grandmother. And then she came through. It That's was a beautiful like, story. No, it was incredible because she, and then I put the ring down and then communicated with her. So, but it, it was a way I don't know what she was waiting for or whether she saw that I wasn't going to give up <laughs> and I was going to try another method to connect with her. I don't know what it was, but it worked well. It worked That's really cool. So what, what are some of the other practical uses for psychometry? You mean for the average person or for, yeah. mm -hmm. for the average person? I think it, for the average person, if you have uh, something you've inherited from a family member, and you want to know, you don't know a lot about that person, and you want to know about them, you can train as a psychometrist doing what I said, putting photographs in envelopes, so you know how accurate you're getting. Or if you have somebody to practice with, and they can give you a piece of jewelry or something from someone they know, and you can practice that way. Then you can, uh, if you have a piece of uh, jewelry or something, metal works uh, really well, holds the energy really well, then you can get to know your ancestors or people in your family that way. Now, one thing I've not done, only because I don't know how to validate it, is to go into an antique store. But the problem with that is you don't know how many other people have picked up that object and held it for a Sure, so the objects supposedly will retain energy from other people. Exactly. And you exactly. can feel the different energies. Right. So say you picked up a little metal uh, toy car. You don't know how many kids have already picked that up and played with it. So, 
and you have no way to validate the information because you don't know who owned that. Well, that's kind of true, I guess, with the jewelry as well. You don't know how many people have handled that piece of jewelry. And I remember a friend of mine gave me a pipe that I think her father may have had. She wanted me to see what I could get out of that pipe. And the first thing I got was a fire. And indeed the pipe had been in a fire. And, you know, who knows how many people had handled that pipe, but I was able to get at least one of the most energetically exciting, profound bits of information about that pipe. Well, there, there was a, a medium, Gordon Higginson, who was the greatest medium of the 20th century. And he was able to hold rocks and dirt and know what the land had been, what it had been mm. used for. Yeah. But he wasn't the first to do that. Yeah, I got, that was true for me. I held a, I didn't know what it was. I held a, uh, I guess it was a flint, um, an arrowhead. Mm-hmm. And my first vision was, a, well, a wall uh, this this like cave wall mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had no idea what was in my hand and that was the image I got and sure enough there was that little piece of flint from a stone right. wall. Well there was a medium back in Maria Hayden's day Emma Frances um, I can think of her married name Emma Frances Boleyn and that's what her book is under but she was an archaeological psychometrist she would go to archaeological sites and psychometrize prehistory, who had lived there, what their living conditions were, and that kind of thing. And she was she wrote a whole book on it. If I can quickly find her name. Emma Francis J. But her book is under Emma Francis Boleen, B-U-L-L-E-N-E. And I don't have the title of the book right in front of me but anyway it's long out of print and she did it in uh colorado and she belonged to an archaeological society and she was very well respected for her her psychometry of ancient sites prehistoric sites and gathering information that they were later able to validate based on printed history and they could put the two together. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So what are the top tips you would give me and the listener for improving on our psychometry skills? Well, first, and as we talked about, intent is very important. Mm-hmm. You want to set the intent that you are going to read the energy of this photograph, this physical item, this card with handwriting, whatever it is. And then to practice it, I would suggest finding someone who can print out pictures, print out handwriting, print out emails, put them flat in an envelope. I think that probably works better than having it folded. Mm -hmm. Like I said, what I did with my husband is I would sit and hold it and call out 24 things I felt about this person, whether they were living or dead, how educated they were, what kind of work they would have done, uh, the time period they would have lived in, whether they were male or female, because I didn't even know that, and personality, whatever came to me, I just trusted and said. You really pushed yourself. (laughs) I really did. Good. And, And he would write down what I would get, and then he'd pull 
whatever it was. One case, it was a poem by um, Robert Frost. Then he would pull it out. So I knew who I was reading. And then he knew enough about Robert Frost or whoever the photograph was. Oftentimes it was a family member or friend. So that we could go down the list and say, yep, that was correct. That was correct. That was correct. However, another tip is don't be upset if you say it's a male and it's a female. Think about that woman's personality. Did she have more male characteristics? Ah. Vice versa. If you say it's a female, is it because that male had more feminine characteristics? So we have to look at it not just in the strict sense, okay, no, I'm wrong on the sex, but why am I feeling that? Am I feeling this person was a highly educated person, but they never went to college? Well, there are a lot of people in the past who, and even today who don't go to college, but they're well-read and they're very intelligent. So always consider that it may not be a black and white answer. You will be giving a free lecture on Maria this coming Saturday. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, it will be a summary of her life. Uh, it's a PowerPoint presentation, so lots of illustrations. That will be on this Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Mountain, 1 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. UK. <laughs> and it will be on the Spirituals National Union International. And you can Google Spirituals National Union International, go to the website that says tuition program. And under the heading for our visitors, it's the last listing. And there's a link that you can just click on and attend the lecture. It's free and open to the public. It's an okay. hour long lecture. That sounds good. And I'll put a link to that tuition page in the program notes as well. Perfect. Thank you. So people can attend and ask questions and learn more about Maria and hopefully when your book will be out and I will have you back on the psychic play date when your book is available. We can talk more about that and maybe uh, medical intuition, which is something else that you learned from yes, that, Maria. Maria not only influenced me into developing psychometry and practicing that, but also medical intuition because she was Today, we would call her a medical intuitive. She didn't call herself that then. <laughs> so many wonderful things. Just because you were curious about this woman, everybody else ignored. I know, I know. I, I often have to think, you know, was she waiting for me or was I, you know, why, did, why me? <laughs> You're the perfect person to give her her voice. And who knows, you know, what else is going to come uh, down from studying her? Will you have another book coming out? Uh, well, I will. I'm working on another book, but it's my own family history. It's my Irish family history that's filled with mental illness and lots of fun things. Um, so I am working on that right now. Uh, hopefully it will not be 600 pages. I don't think it will be. <laughs> well, it's been a delight talking to you as always, Sharon. And I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. And hopefully there will be a link available to where people can watch that presentation after this yeah. program airs and after this weekend because you know anybody can find that and hopefully we'll have a link to that in the program notes as well yes yes and 
I also have a dedicated website, mariabhayden.net. And that I'll be posting this podcast there and the lecture, a link to the lecture will also be there when it becomes available. So um, feel free to visit that site. Hooray. <laughs> All right, Sharon, thank you so much. Thank you, Melanie, for having me. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Well, I knew that Sharon and I would have a pretty good time, and I hope you did too. I hope you're able to watch her PowerPoint presentation or go to mariabhayden.net to find a link to the replay. After Sharon's book's available, I'll ask her back on so we can talk about her experience writing it and how I drew a spirit portrait of Maria as a young pioneering medium. Linking to people who lived over a century ago is so much fun. It's, it's enjoyable. It's, it's possible because it reminds us how like bands of a rainbow, we may appear distinct, but we share the same awareness. Hey, please be good to each other and believe in the power of play. Thank you.